Sean Connery is James Bond, Agent 007. Never say never again. My name is Bond. Oh, you're Mr. Bond. I believe I'm having you in half an hour. Oh, splendid. Your room or mine. Have you, Mr. Bond? You're marvelously well equipped. Thank you, James. So are you. Good to see you, Mr. Bond. Things have been awfully dull around here. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. I certainly hope so, too. Bond, the game is over. Sean Connery is Ian Fleming's James Bond in Never Say Never Again. On this episode of Adam's Corner, we welcome to the show the uh, writer, producer, TV personality, DVD commentator, Herbie J. Pilato, and uh, also the host of the Amazon Prime Then Again TV show, I do believe, or I think that's still going on, isn't it? Or uh, It's still streaming, yes. We okay, only yes. did like one season, but it's... It's still on there. Good stuff for everybody. Anybody who hasn't uh, investigated, it's well worth your time. Uh, he's done so many books. I don't know where to start with. You're such a prolific guy, and you're just, I don't know how you get it all done. And uh, I first encountered your work about 31 years ago oh, with a Bewitched book. On the <laughs> so, day you were born, apparently. <laughs> no, I was. I, I had a little, I had a few years underneath my belt before that. And so, uh, <laughs> but I was a big Bewitched fan. I was in the bookstore. I was browsing and i said oh this looks great i got it it was terrific it was so well researched and i've been a fan ever since and so uh this is a real uh it's an honor to have you on here to talk about actually um a subject that i'm very interested in the uh, 40th anniversary of never say never again which was the a, a uh, james bond film but not an official james bond film and i'll get you to tell us about that uh but i always when we're talking about films i'm always curious especially with somebody who's written a book about the history of a subject like this what was your first experience and the first time seeing it and what what were your thoughts the first time that you uh saw the film yes i remember exactly where i was i was back in rochester uh new york my hometown at the stutson street theater which was a, a pretty cool theater. It was like on the lake, kind of, sort of. And um, yeah, I was with my then girlfriend at the time. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I love Sean. I was really never a super Sean Connery fan or James Bond fan. We can talk about that later. But I knew that this was not produced by the same Broccoli's. <laughs> right who did the original films and i knew there was going to be something something different and sure enough i sat down and right away what threw me was you know where was the dun, 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 <laughs> where was the music right and then the cinematography seemed different it wasn't as bright or it wasn't as rich as you know the broccoli productions and it was just different. I loved Barbara Carrera, who, by the way, has written the foreword to my book, uh, Connery, Sean Connery. 
uh, Before, During, and After, his most famous role. And I loved Kim Bassinger as well. And Sean looked older, which he was. This is 20 years after (laughs) Dr. No. So I was really, as I look back now, in perspective, disappointed. But in seeing the film, like last year for this book, it was a whole new experience. Oh, great. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the years will make a difference uh, from the first time you see something. And especially as we age things, we see them through the lens of uh, the passage of time as well. And sometimes Immaturity, things, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Aesthetically, hopefully we think we are creatively a more a developed where we can see things that we wouldn't have seen before. So that's true. And sometimes appreciate things and sometimes see the flaws that we missed when we were younger. <laughs> I've had that happen more times than I can count. But I will um, always be bored by Star Trek, the motion picture, but that's another. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's uh there, it definitely is a flawed film. Although I admire some, things about it it is definitely a flawed film and i cannot disagree with you so we'll we shall say that well i'm curious about what drew you to write the book and what was the uh experience how long did it take to write the book and the research that was involved and uh all of that sort of thing well it was three years ago um it was in the middle of the pandemic and i really was in my mind at the time i was done writing books um, I had met everybody I wanted to meet, uh, wrote about everything, everybody I wanted to write about. I, you know, had my show that was really a pinnacle for me. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to just not do this anymore. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't want to do any more books. And my agent said, you know, Herbie, you should do another book, but not on classic TV. That's, you know, what you're known for, but you should go beyond that realm. And I'm like, I don't want to do another book. You know, but he really, really convinced me. He's a great, great man. And um, he said, you know, so we said, okay, what do I write about? Who would I write about? So we looked in the newspaper or looked online to, you know, see who died. And Sean Connery had just passed away. And Diana Rigg had just passed away. And we're like, okay, maybe I could, you know, do those. But I was never really, like I said, super, super Sean fan. I love Dinah Rigg, and that book is coming out in the fall, by the way. Um, wow. But, you know, he convinced me. And then he wanted me to do this George Lucas, Steven Spielberg book, which I'm also working on, about their their famed films of the 80s. And we sold those books, three of them, with like in three weeks, okay, which is kind of unheard of in the world of publishing. Um, but we did it. And that's how it happened. Wow. That's uh, so much for not writing books anymore. <laughs> really? <laughs> that plan went right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't want to scoop too much of your book because we do want people to buy it and read it if, uh, you know, when, 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 when they can. Uh, but, you know, I thought maybe it would be helpful to give a little bit of background on the film, uh, cause it's an interesting story. If you just want to give uh, some highlights, uh, starting with, uh, Thunderball, I think this is yeah. a story that, uh, evolves, uh, starts with rather with a Thunderball and it, and it kind of makes right. a, an interesting trajectory from there. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's very intricate because at some point somewhere, you know, the Thunderball uh, rights were out the window. Ian Fleming, Broccoli's, you know, this other guy who did the 
who did Never Say Never Again. It was just all over the place. So when they made Thunderball, it was already a, a legal issue. But then they still um, lost the rights to Thunderball, and it became Never Say Never Again, which, of course, is uh, it's a different production, um, is a little wink to Sean never playing um, James Bond again because he had already quit in like 19, what was it, 1969. He decided not to do On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was a mistake. And the reason why he wanted to leave Bond is not only was he obsessed or uh, just tired of the obsession that others had about the character, he wanted to leave the role, but he thought the the character itself was not developed, that he was just like born at 30 years old. Who was... James Bond's mother. Who is James Bond's father? None of that was ever explained. So that was beginning to bother him. Um, unfortunately, when George Lazenby, who did an okay job, and uh, with him too, and with that movie, I've learned to appreciate it more. But the character of Bond and the film itself is really a dynamite production. Diana Rigg, here we go again, bringing... Diana back into the picture, she played Mrs. James Bond, and it was the first time that he, the James Bond was married. So I'm just saying all of that because Sean turned it down, and it was a mistake, because the movie was great, but it would have been greater with him, and the movie was great because it developed the James Bond character, which he was always complaining about. So it was just crazy. So then he comes back to the role in 1971 with Diamonds Are Forever, leaves it again forever. No pun intended. And then that's when Roger Moore took over the following year in 1972 with uh, Live, and Let, uh, Live and Let Die. And then 10 years after that, or 11, here we go. The Thunderball rights are still in legal hell, whatever. And somehow they are re reacquired. The story is reacquired. And the producers come up, the non-Broccoli people, Oh, I guess they're the tomatoes. I don't know. Um, they, <laughs> they went ahead and they do. Never say never again. He, you know, he comes back. His wife is the one. Micheline, his second wife, is the one that came up with the title, which is, again, a nod to the fact that he always had said, he had always said that he would never play James Bond again. <laughs> and there he was playing James Bond. Yeah, it's, uh, now, now the actual production of the film, uh, I, 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 I should have done some research on uh, when they actually physically shot the film, and I don't have those dates in front of me, unfortunately. But I'm I'm thinking that's probably earlier in 1983, something of that nature. It's 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 81, 82. Wow. Okay. So they... it was released in 83. Right. Which is you know you know tomorrow or Friday is going to be October 6th. Yes. The uh, the, ex the exact 40th anniversary of the film's debut. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I And I do remember when it came out. I remember because I remember Octopussy had come out earlier that year and there was in these right. pre-internet. No, they were out at the same time. This was this was monumental. Yeah. And there was, you know, there's this big debate about, you know, which is better, which is not just like the whole two Darren's thing. I always got to bring the witch into it, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and Octopussy was... The, the glossier, the bigger budgeted film. Um, but, you know, and a lot of people love Roger Moore. And I thought, 
you know, Roger Moore is a wonderful actor, but he was a little too hokey jokey, you know, for as James Bond. And they each brought something of themselves. Each of the actors who played James Bond put their own spin on it. But in truly, in my opinion, Sean was just the best. There was no better Bond than Sean. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Uh, he's, I, I mean, you, you know, when, when he appears on screen, you instantly just, uh, I remember when I first saw it way back when, you know, I, I it was just a, uh, an old comfy feeling, you know, like putting on an old comfy pair of slippers or something. It just, like, oh, there he is. It's just, it just felt right. I don't know how to explain it, even though I know, and it was a little off-putting for me because I had grown up and watching the Bond films with the um the John Barry scores and the opening 007 theme and of course this one did not have it and it had a score by Mich- Michel Legrand whom I love Michel Legrand I mean his summer 42 uh he won an Oscar for that and uh, many other things uh, the windmills of your mind Thomas Crown Affair we could go on and on about his career but he I, I think it was an interesting choice to bring him in uh, to do this film because these were not the kind of scores that he was known for doing umbrellas of Sherberg. That's another one that comes to mind. So you think of all that and it's like, uh, this guy bringing him into a James Bond film is an interesting choice for sure. So, uh, yeah, I guess they wanted to, you know, obviously put their own spin on it, but the, the mm-hmm. music and, and the look of bond, the bond films were the, were like the characters themselves. They were mm-hmm. part of the essence of, of James Bond. So again, it was very disconcerting, or not very, but uh, somewhat disconcerting not to see any of that. But with mature eyes over time, as I said earlier, um, I've come to really love that film. And um, it's, it's, it's a very, very good film. And his portrayal of Bond, who is 20 years older, the character is 20 years older, and Sean is 20 years older, and they make no bones about that. They write that into it uh you know that that he, this is an older bond he has a gray toupee as opposed <laughs> to the black toupee you know yep. and um so it's kind of like what they did with star trek and star trek 2 the yeah. wrath of Khan, when you know they had captain kirk wear those the specs they didn't you know they didn't ignore the fact that this was an older kirk and they didn't ignore the fact that this was an older bond yeah, that's true. And I'll be honest, in, in my estimation, he actually looks like he's in better shape uh, physically in Never Say Never Again than he did in Diamonds Are Forever. Because Absolutely. He's really, he's really out of shape in that movie. I, I'm almost, I almost cringe at times when I watch I like it. I'm a big fan of Diamonds Are Forever. I love the uh, title song by Shirley Bassey and all that. And, and there's some good villainy there. And uh, so there's there's good stuff going on in it. But when when he's on screen, it's it's like, yeah, the, the time off from the role didn't do you any favors, but this no, time liked, it did. Yeah. He loved to eat. Sean <laughs> loved to eat. And he hated to work out. You got to remember, too, you know, he was a a weightlifter early in his career or yes. early in his life. And when you don't keep that up, you know, the, that muscle turns to, well, let's face it, fat. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of sort of what happened, not to mention you know, the natural aging. I wanted to say too, that the one, the other thing that really annoyed me about uh, Never Say Never Again was the guy who played M, 
I'm like, what is going on with this? He was <laughs> he was younger and he was just off the charts, like um, just so goofy. And I'm like, well, where did that come from? So I don't know. That was that really bothered me. Yeah. I, I I agree. Yeah, that's the and and I think Bernard Lee was still playing him at that point. No, 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 he had passed away. He he passed away. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think who um who the actor was that was playing him at In that. Octopussy. Yeah, yeah, I and I, I can't remember. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, anyway, um, but yeah, yeah, the, it's kind of hard to make that adjustment when you've been following the other Bond franchise and then suddenly <laughs> uh, yeah so I totally totally agree with you on that uh, revelations and surprises while you were writing the book uh, was there anything that really just kind of took you uh, that you were doing your research and you were like wow I didn't know that or <laughs> anything that just really grabbed you well I wanted first of all I wanted to you know there's there's a lot of other Sean books out there and mm-hmm. Bond books and I wanted this one to be different I wanted, because there's books about his films in general, there's books about the James Bond films, there's books about his life, but I wanted to bring it all together, and yet, too, with new information, while sourcing and resourcing previous information, but I wanted it to be all in one package, and in the process of having, you know, like, Barbara Carrera, who was in Never Say Never Again, write the foreword to the book, and Richard DeMarco, who is Sean's lifelong friend. They knew each other truly since the day they were born back in Scotland. He wrote the introduction. Um, I wanted to really explore what was going on with him as a person. And I learned, and what surprised me, is number one, his, really, he was self-educated. Everything he learned about the classics of Shakespeare and Ibsen, with regard to acting and, and writing and, and all of that, he was he learned by himself. And also what surprised me is his sense of humor. He really had a terrific sense of humor. And I love that about, I love that about anyone, but it, certainly I love that about Sean. Because he's, you know, this macho super guy and He's he's not who aren't you know allegedly are not supposed to have any kind of personality, but Sean had a lot of personality and a lot of humor. Oh yeah, yeah, and and by all accounts he certainly did, and and of course larger than life, as they say. Yeah. I mean he was one of the true giants, and some of his uh, choices that he made in between uh, Diamonds Are Forever and this film are, are certainly interesting and and there's some of them that i really uh admire like outland for instance and robin and oh, marion those are uh very interesting it's, it's robin interesting. robin and marion was his favorite of his non-bond films mm-hmm. and from russia with love was his favorite of the bond films that's interesting to note. Yeah, I know uh, from from Russia with Love. I just uh, random trivia uh, um, that that was the last film I believe that uh, that um, uh, President Kennedy saw before his uh, the day before his assassination. I think he screened that at the White House. So that is that is correct. He loved the book and he loved the movie. Yeah. Sean loved the movie for two, well, for several reasons, but for two main reasons. Number one, he got to work with Robert Shaw who was um, an old friend of his, and they had a really remarkable, if a very violent, 
scene in the train, the fight scene in the train uh, room there, the cart, whatever. And it was so, so violent. But Sean liked it because it was realistic. Because the bottom line is, James Bond had a license to kill. Okay? And he was brutal in that. Um, And Sean appreciated that aspect. I'm not saying he worshipped the violence. I'm just saying that because Russia from Russia with love was very true to the character of Bond in that realistic way of him being brutally a brutal assassin, uh, Sean respected that aspect um, of the film, and that's one of the reasons why it was his favorite. Yeah, that's uh, well, you can't blame him in that assessment. So, because it's it's a great one, yeah, yeah. for sure, yeah. I'm curious about, uh, since you've written the book about Sean uh, Connery's career, what you think, what your personal opinion of Zardoz is, just out of curiosity, because that's one that divides people equally. (laughs) It's bizarre, you know, it's bizarre. It's like, I I always was like, okay, is he really wearing that bikini? Uh, (laughs) And I remember too, what was it? The first time I saw it, I, I really didn't see it, meaning... I walked in, look into the theater with my mom and my cousin and my aunt, and we wanted to see um, the Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was out around the same time. Yeah, right. And somehow we ended up in this seeing Sean in the bikini, and you know, my aunt says, "This isn't. This isn't <laughs> the Three Musketeers." <laughs> yeah the ponytail and the and the uh the <laughs> going along with that that's 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 quite a combo there right <laughs> there, there's one scene in in that film where he's on like a stretched out yeah and it's on his back and it's very similar to where he's stretched out in a golden um golden what is it? golden not golden eye um goldfinger Yes. Whereas in Goldfinger, and you know, Goldfinger is uh, torturing him with the laser and he's about to slice him in half, going right down the you know what. Yeah. And, and Sean was sweating in that scene, and though that was his real perspiration. <laughs> it wasn't James Bond sweating, it was Sean Connery playing James Bond sweating. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that that looks like that's a little bit too close for comfort, for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's um, yeah. I uh, I recently watched the Anderson tapes, which was a film he made. I'm not sure if that was released right after um, Diamonds Are Forever. I'm not sure about the timeline on that. It may have been right before, but it was an interesting because it's Sidney Lumet, and you know, obviously super prolific director, and it was one of his films that had slipped in the uh, between the cracks for me, and it recently got a Blu-ray. Uh, via Kino Lorber and a uh, really uh, terrific uh, job they did on that. It really, yeah, well, and Sean, I, yeah. Sean loved him. They had worked together on the Hill and um, the offense. I believe that was the name. Of yes. The film. That was another but, one. Yes. Yes. But I just watched again, the Anderson tapes. So they, the, the Blu-ray, it just came out. Yes. That's and right. It, it's a freaky movie, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, he plays this character along with the rest of them. They're set free. And then the minute they get out, you know, they start trouble for themselves. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, where is the? It's just it's just kind of ridiculous. The setting and the premise is kind of ridiculous. Diane Cannon 
love her. Oh, yes. Love her. I don't think she was really fully appreciated as an actress. God bless her. She's still around and looking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But I saw her on an episode of Medical Center, like a first season episode. Mm -hmm. And she was dynamite even then. And that was, (laughs) let's see, that was about three, maybe two years before. The Anderson tapes, which, yeah. by the way, is I, in my mind, I always confuse with the conversation. Yeah, well, there's some sim- similarities for sure. Uh, I actually think the uh, the the uh, the the actual tapes, quote unquote, aspect of the film is probably the weakest aspect. I think the other stuff is 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 a lot stronger. Yeah. The uh, the heist and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, right, right. I think Roger Ebert had the same opinion that I did. I think I remember reading his review of that. So that's that's interesting. But uh, but it's a good film it, it, that a it lot of people don't know. So yeah. um, yeah. So so that's uh. That is a, well. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'll just ask you real quickly how um, uh, how do you think "Never Say Never Again" should be remembered in as its place in film history or whatever? How how do you think it should be remembered, or how is it remembered? I should say, uh, maybe. I think it should be, and I think it is now really remembered as one of the best Bond films. It truly, truly is an excellent film when you. Let all the other stuff go, you know, not having the theme music and not having the same cinematography. And it is a darker, darker looking film. And in many ways, it's a darker Bond film, you know, from from an aesthetic, general aesthetic point of view. But Barbara Carrera, she does such a dynamite job in, in you know, performing Fatima Bush originally played by Luciana Paluzzi in Thunderball. And by the way, I uh, interviewed Luciana for this book as well. But Barbara just goes to town with with her performances as Fatima. She gives one billion percent and she has a great time and we enjoy watching her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. It, she, she, she's it, one of the better, uh, great uh, aspects of the film and uh, and or, and I forgot to mention Urban Kirshner directing this, who just a couple of years prior had directed Empire Strikes Back and uh, uh, would later go on to do the sequel to RoboCop, we might say. And that's, and that's Yeah, right. And that's probably how he was like a hot director. And uh, that's probably how he got the job, of course. I'm sure he didn't have a problem getting jobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially after Empire Strikes Back. I, I yeah. think the sky was the limit at that point. Yeah, so. <laughs> I would say. I would say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, if you want to promote uh, some of your books that are out now or things that may be coming up, I, I just want to give you a few moments to do that before we uh, before we end things here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, oh I sound like Elvis there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, Yes, I'm excited. The other book that I have out uh, this month just came out for the 50th anniversary of the Six Million Dollar Man is the Bionic Book, a special commemorative issue, and I rebooted it. And I, when I say reboot, it's kind of like I always say um, the way Iron Man kind of rebooted Spider Man's outfit and his equipment. In, in that one Marvel film in the last five years, whatever it was. That's how I see it. I changed the paper quality. I fixed a few typos that were in the first edition. I added some new anecdotes that were not, that was not in the, the first edition. 
uh, there's some new photos. And Terrence McDonald, who wrote uh, a few episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man, has written an all-new foreword, all-new introduction, I should say. Richard Anderson wrote the foreword, and he's passed on uh, now. Uh, so, and there's new, there's a new color uh, font and new color photos for the front cover and the back cover. It's a really, really, really nice package, and I'm very proud of it. And I wanted to do something to commemorate the 50th anniversary. Um, I had the 12 Best Secrets of Christmas, which came out last year, which is a very different book for me. Um, it has nothing to do with the media or anything, but my growing up in Rochester at Christmas time in the 60s and 70s, and I take 12 particular messages um, or memories from that time, and I turn them into secrets and of Christmas. And it's really um, for all cultures, not just for those who celebrate Christmas, but it's for all families who celebrate any holiday and what their holiday memories mean to them. And I try to universalize my mem my memories and make, make, make them accessible for everybody. So there's that. And then retroactive television, which is really the culmination of everything I've always tried to talk about when it came to classic TV, that people, you know, um, were affected, many people in many different um, vocations or categories of, of life and career were inspired and in affected by classic TV shows um, that served a positive influence in their life. For example, there have been those who were became attorneys because they loved Perry Mason or those who became doctors because they loved Marcus Welby, MD, or to some extent, L.A. Law, and, or excuse me, uh, ER. And it was, I wanted to make sure, too, that I had someone really with a specific voice that represented family classic television, and that it would be Eric Scott, who played Ben on The Waltons, and he wrote the foreword. But I also interviewed um, Michael Lerner from the Waltons and Ed Spielman, who created Kung Fu, and um, Larry Wilcox, who worked on, obviously, Star and Ships, and the positive influence that all those classic TV shows, one way or the other, had on society. I'm not saying people sat down and watched the Mary Tyler Moore show and said, hey, I'm a woman, and I want to get into journalism because of the Mary Tyler Moore show. I'm saying that happened. I mean, Oprah became a journalist or got into the media because of Mary Richards. Katie Couric got into journalism because of Mary Richards on the Mary Tyler Moore show. So I'm very, very excited about all of my books. Uh, next year, we have uh, One Tough Dame, The Life and Career of Diana Rigg. That's coming out in the fall. And then also there is um, my Christmas TV Memories book, which is different than my 12 Best Secrets of Christmas. The Christmas TV Memories book will be media geared and it will explore all the favorite Christmas TV specials, be they animated, be they half hour, be they hour, be they TV movies, be they variety specials, be they episodic television episodes, anything having to do with Christmas from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, a little bit of the 80s um, will be explored in that book. And that will be out, hopefully, 
in December 2024 if I meet my deadline this January. <laughs> well, I have uh, all the belief in the world that you will because <laughs> you're so prolific and you're just pumping them out. I don't know. I don't see how you get it all done, but but you do such a wonderful job. And we just and uh, really, it's it is great stuff that you're doing, keeping these memories alive. And uh, I personally thank you for for the work that you've done over the years. It uh, it's very meaningful to a lot of us. It really is. And so uh, it's very nice of you, Adam. Thank yeah. you so much. Yep. Well, anyway, thank you so much for being on, and um, we will uh, we'll just say uh, best of luck with the Never Say Never Again book, and we'll urge everyone to get it. I will uh, certainly post a link to the book. Yes, and if if anyone wants to order personally signed copies, they can do so by contacting me herbertjpalato.com or go to my Facebook, any of my Facebook Facebook pages, or Instagram, LinkedIn. Twitter, whatever it's called now, X. I'm all over the place. You just do a Google for Herbie J. Pilato and you find me. And if you can't find me any other way, email me, hjpilato at yahoo.com, and we'll we'll set you up with a personally signed copy of of never of uh, Connery, Sean Connery, To Which Upon a Star, whatever book you want. Never, never say never again. Never, never say never again.